Hi, Saints. Welcome to another episode of Talking Bible Truth with Dr. Kamala D. I am your host, Dr. Kamala D., here to help you grow in faith and walk in God's amazing grace. Today's message is a two-part series entitled, The Christian's Position in Christ. Many Christians are weak and ignorant in the promises of God because they are not aware of who they are in Christ. So sit back, relax, take notes, and learn who you are in Christ. Hi, Saints. Before we get started, I want to ask you one thing. Did you pray before you tuned in? and ask God to give you understanding and wisdom from this message. If not, pause the tape, bow your head, close your eyes, and pray and ask God to do that. And then you can resume, okay? Now, I thought that it would be a great idea to continue touring the book of Ephesians. So, last time in the two-part series of Walking and Standing in Christ, we looked at chapter one of Ephesians. So now we're going to go uh, and tour chapter two. Now Ephesians chapter two, let's begin reading. Um, In case you guys don't know, I'm reading from the traditional King James version. Unless I indicate otherwise, all scripture is being read from the traditional King James version. Okay. Now Ephesians chapter two, verse one says, And you have he, referring to God, quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now the word quicken in New Testament Greek literally means to make alive. It does not refer to swiftness or speed. You could accurately translate the verse like this. And you has he made alive who were dead. Now that's reasonable. God made us alive because we were dead. And the dead needs life. Every person who has not accepted and confessed Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior is spiritually dead to God. Now, you are not dead because you have done some bad thing. You are not dead because of acts that you have committed. You are dead because of what Adam did. Yeah, that old serpent tricked Adam. Now, Adam was the representative of humankind, and what he did has been passed down to all mankind, good or bad. We inherited Adam's sin nature, but thanks be to God that we can also inherit what Jesus has done. He has righted the wrong and has given mankind the opportunity to stand in the good graces of God as his children. However, it is up to each individual to receive Christ as his or her substitute, as his or her savior, and as his or her Lord. When the Bible says dead in trespasses and sin, it does not mean dead in the sense of non-existence. It means dead in the sense of being cut off and separated from God. And I'm talking about completely. Even though one still exists spiritually, one exists in a a place apart from God. And God considers such a one as being spiritually dead. Now let's look at uh, Ephesians 2 and 2. Wherein, in time past, ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Now, this world was created by the Heavenly Father, and it was made for man. God put man in charge of this world. Adam was given dominion, control, rulership, and and lordship over the earth realm. He was uh, even put in charge and in control of the animals. When a person owns something, he has the right to do whatever he chooses with it. For example, if you have the title to an automobile, you could sign the title over to someone someone else and give the car away as a gift or you could put the car up for sale. You own the car and whatever you do with it is, is your responsibility. Adam had the privilege of being, as it were, the God with a little G of this world. 
In effect, he owned the world. In other words, he held the title on the world. However, he committed an act of rebellion and gave the world to Satan who became and is still the God with a little g of this world. Satan is not the God of all the ages, but he is the ruler of this world's system. Satan is a spirit creature. There are many people who do not believe in Satan and guess what? That's your business. But that is their problem, saints. The Bible says that the devil is real and, and you are deceived if you think he is not. You are already deceived if you think, and I did a whole series on that about Satan. If Jesus said he exists and God says he exists, his word says he exists, he exists. Doesn't matter what you think. You can call him any uh, other name you want, but Almighty God, who is a lot smarter than we are, calls him the devil or Satan. So there must be a devil who is called Satan simply because God says there he is. This devil, by default, took over the rulership of this world. That is why things are so messed up. Oh, my God. I hope that you uh, don't think by any stretch of your imagination that the Almighty God has this world all messed up the way it is. God is not the one who messed things up. It has been messed up by Satan. And then by man listening to Satan in, instead of listening to God, Satan and mankind have turned this world just completely upside down, saints. God is a God of order, and this world is out of order. This world is chaotic in, in so many different ways, but within the framework of God's plan and purpose, he is all just allowing Satan to, to turn and, and run its course. Now, when the fullness of time has come, God will intervene in human history. Until then, in the natural, Satan has free course. Now, there is a, a sort of coexistence here in the earth realm. There, there is the good and there is the bad. There is the evil and there is the righteous. There are the children of God and there are the children of the devil. And we are all living on the earth simply because that is what we were originally created for. We have physical bodies which are only good for living in this physical world. The prince of the power of the air. The word prince, as it is used in the King James Version of the Bible, comes from a very interesting Greek word. It is liter literally the word archon, and it means ruler. The word power, as it uh, is used here, is the word authority. Therefore, what this verse is literally saying is, according to the ruler of the authority of the air, the air is filled with demonic forces, saints, but at the same time, it is also filled with angelic forces. Everyone, whether she is a Christian or not, has a guardian angel with, with him or her on the earth. There are also demon forces who are trying to, to gun us down. Now, have you ever heard of satellite television, FM radio or, or AM radio? Well, whether you know it or not, even though you cannot see the picture and even though you do not hear the program right there where you are uh, running through your home or whatever building you might be in and running through your body, through the area where you live and through everyone who, uh, who is with you, there are radio waves, FMAM and, and satellite television waves, actually radio waves. The only reason you are not consciously aware of them is because they are in another dimension. However, with the proper kind of apparatus, either television or radio, which are technically receivers, you can tune in and receive the signals that are being transmitted on television and AM and FM radio. Now, now no, you cannot see the waves from satellite television or AM and FM radio, but they are there nonetheless. And most people believe they are, they are there. Not because they have seen them, but because someone told them they could see pictures on the television set and hear sounds on the radio. Because they believed what someone told them and have experienced the results. 
they consistently and regularly turn on their radios or their televisions and receive the benefits. By the same token, this earth is filled with twice as many creatures as there are among us in physical dimension. However, these special creatures exist in another dimension, a completely different realm, saints. Satan is the prince or the ruler of these demon forces who exist in this, uh, this other realm. And he presides over them just as Almighty God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit preside over the body of Christ, the church. Now, let's look at Ephesians 2, 2 again. The, uh, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Now, uh, I once heard uh, someone say, I went to the board meeting and I tell you the spirit of the meeting was just not right. That person was talking about something other than what Paul is talking about when when he uses the word spirit. He is not talking about an atmosphere, uh, some kind of uh, a condition such as the spirit of the meeting being up or the spirit of the meeting being down. This verse is talking about a person. It is not a psychological condition, but a creature, a spirit creature. Now notice what this verse does not say. It does not say that that spirit is working in the children of God, but in the children of disobedience. If that spirit is working in you, then you must be one of the children of disobedience. If so, all you need to do is start obeying the word of God and you will not be considered a child of disobedience any longer. That spirit should not be operating in the children of God. Mm -mm, not at all. Now, we are in this world, and we will be influenced by some things around us. But we do not have to respond to everything we are influenced by, because we are in control. Now, let's look at Ephesians 2 and 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now the word conversation as it is used in this verse does not only mean talking to someone verbally, but in its original Greek, understanding has to do with your total lifestyle. Conversation literally means your manner of life. And this word certainly in <laughs> include what you say, but even more importantly than that, it is talking about what you do. It is talking about the way you live, your manner of life. Notice the word had in that verse. It is obvious that if we had, we do not have now. Since had is a past tense verb. Now, otherwise, this verse would say we have, which is a past tense usage. I'm sorry. It's a present tense usage. Um, this word referred to what we are doing now. Now, had implies something that you use, you used to do, but now you do not do it anymore. That means you are not telling lies anymore. You are not in strife with anyone. You are not a backbiter. You are not a, a gossiper. And thank God you are not committing fornication, meaning having sexual intercourse with someone to whom you are not married. And praise the Lord, you are not an adulterer, meaning having sexual intercourse with someone else's husband or wife. Now, Paul said, these are things we used to do before we were born again. Now, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind is what I want to talk about now. The natural man, you know, the man outside of Christ is governed by his body. Christians should not be governed by their flesh. Now, I know I'm going to be tugging at, at the heart uh, of some of you, but it's the truth that sets man free, and Christians need to know who they are in Christ. Now, but the natural man is governed by his flesh, and we are governed by the Spirit of God. The Bible says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons, meaning the children of God. That's in Romans 8.14. Now notice the word na nature. It is a very important word. It is the nature of man that makes man a sinner. 
Now, not what he or she does. The nature of a dog causes it to bark, right? The nature of a cat causes it to meow. The nature of a cow causes it to moo, and the nature of a pig causes it to oink. You have never heard a dog oink, and you have never heard a cow bark. It is not within the natural instincts of the dog or a cow to do so. Man's nature outside of Christ is to sin. He is a sinner by nature, not by his deeds. His deeds simply are indicators of his nature, just as barking is an indicator of, of being a dog. Many people think you are a sinner because what you do. What you do does not make you a sinner. Usually people, um, those outside of Christ, sin because that is what sinners do. They need a new nature. And that is what Jesus is all about. He came to give us a new nature, a nature that is like God's nature, so that the life of God and the life of Christ may be exemplified and manifested through our lives. The nature of a person has to be transformed. This is not just a, a reformation of the individual or a changing of his or her actions. You can change your actions all you want, all you want. But if you do not change your nature, you will eventually revert to the same actions you started with. Now, um, it, it is the same with, with, with mankind. You can send a man to school and give him a PhD. You can dress uh, him up. In a three-piece suit, you can, you can put a pair of expensive shoes on him. You can take him to the hair salon and, and get his hair styled and, and a manicure. And, and you can put a diamond ring on his finger and a gold watch on his wrist. You get the message. But unless he has accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, he is still a sinner. And his nature is to sin. Yes, you can dress him up on the outside but if you have not changed his nature he is still going to lie cheat commit fornication adultery get drunk use drugs and and do anything else that that gratifies his sinful nature this happens because he is a sinner by nature not by the way he wears his clothes okay saints now let's look at ephesians uh two four and five um uh, let's see. Let's look at how God made us alive together with Christ. Because, you know, this message is about who uh, the Christians position in Christ. Now, let's read Ephesians 2 and 5. Is that what I said? Okay. If y'all hear me flipping pages, that's because I'm going through notes and going uh, finding the scriptures. Um, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us, meaning made us alive, together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. Now, this is a very strange statement, made us alive together with Christ. Now, this statement implies that at some point in time, Jesus must have been dead spiritually. Okay, we getting ready to go deep, saints, because if he were, were not how could we be made alive together with him? If he were already alive, then he would not have to be made alive. And if he were already alive, we could not be made alive like him. Now, I need to clarify this statement because there are some people who will say, you know, oh my God, Dr. Kamala D, oh no, she talking about Jesus. No, 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 no. But we have to go by what the word says. And, and I'm getting ready to rightly divide these scriptures. Okay. Even when we were dead in sins. Now let us place emphasis on the word were. The word were is in the past tense. The implication is that once we were dead. But we are not dead now. This is one of the, the, the least understood concepts in all the scriptures. When people misunderstand what you say, they immediately go on the defensive and think what you are saying is that someone uh, or somehow Jesus committed some sin. But he did not. 
Jesus never did sin. We know Jesus is sinless, was sinless and still is. The Bible says that he was in all points tempted like as we, we are, yet without sin. He never violated the word, the will, the plan, and the purpose of the Heavenly Father. No, Jesus was the only perfect flesh to walk this earth. So uh, let's rightly divide these the scriptures. Now, near the termination of Jesus' earthly ministry, he took his disciples to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay, Judas had left the group with the, with the intent of betraying Jesus. We, we know that story. While they were there, he said nothing to his disciples that that is recorded in, in uh, the Matthew 26 beginning at verse 30 and, and continuing through verse 39. Now, let's look at Matthew 26 and 30. And when they had sung and him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Now, this took place just after the insta institution of the Lord's Supper in the upper room. Let's look at Matthew 26, 31. Then said Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. Oh, my God. Okay, what did Jesus mean by the word smite? He meant that the shepherd was going to be killed and the sheep would be scattered. He told the, he told the apostles that they would be offended because of him. Jesus is the shepherd of the sheep. He said, I am the good shepherd. Now, but that he was going to smite the shepherd of the sheep. In other words, he said he was going to kill the shepherd. What is Jesus actually talking about in this verse? He is talking about our redemption. He is talking about our salvation. He is talking about our freedom. He is talking about righting the wrong that Adam did so many years ago. I will smite. Now, I will. Notice he did not say God will. He said I will. Uh-huh. You notice that? Now, let's look at Matthew 26, 32 through 37. We're going to do a lot of reading here, saints. We're going line must be upon line and precept must be upon precept. Okay, Matthew 26, 32 and 37. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice, meaning three times. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and said unto the disciples, Sit ye here, where, while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. We're going deep, saints. I just want you to keep following me. Uh, the son of God, the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star, Emmanuel, God with us, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Sorrowful? Sorrowful was the word that was used. If you read the life of Jesus, you will find he was never truly sorrowful. He was never depressed. He was on top of every situation and every circumstance of his life. Suddenly, after three and a half years of a public ministry that involved the raising of the dead, opening eyes of the blind, walking on water, turning water into wine, performing miracles that had never been seen or heard of before. The Bible says he was sorrowful and very heavy. Now let's look at uh, Matthew 26, 38 and 39. Then said he unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed saying, oh my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, 
but as thou wilt. Now, I am getting ready to explain, and I'm quite sure some to some of you that this is your first time hearing uh, what that scripture and what Jesus said actually means. Um, because we have a lot of people that say that just for anything. Oh, I'm going by some soap out of Lord, if uh, not my will, but your will. What kind of soap out do you want me to get? Tired of game. And you know what? I'm not being facetious. People actually do that. I've heard them. I've seen them. Now, we're, we're not Jesus. Mm -mm. We're not Jesus. And it's a reason Jesus said that. What was that cup? It represented the sin of mankind. That cup represented the dregs of deprivation and alienation and condemnation and sin. That is what that cup contained. This cup was symbolic of what Jesus was going to have to drink in order to become the redeemer of mankind. Whatever you drink becomes a part of you. When you drink it, it goes down your throat into your stomach and is assimilated into the rest of your body. Now, what you eat and what you drink becomes a part of you. The cup was a, a, a symbol for sin. It was a symbol or spiritual death. And Jesus said to the Father, Father, if there is any other way to redeem mankind, let us use that way. Jesus was going to have to become sin. And in order to become sin and to take our place and receive our punishment so we would not have to receive it, he would have to be cut off from the life of God. He would have to be cut off from the fellowship of the Father. In the Gospel of John 1 and 1 we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, Jesus, the Word, had never known anything but constant, sweet, harmonious fellowship with the Father. He had never been cut off from the love of the Father. He had never been separated from the fellowship of the Father. But in order to be man's or mankind's substitute, he was going to have to become sin, which necessitated him and, and being separated and cut off from God. Mm. My God, my Lord, people just don't know what Jesus did for them. You, the people just don't know. My God, I'm getting full just, just teaching this. Uh, all of those thoughts were running through Jesus' mind in the garden, and he rebelled against the thought of separation from God. He did not rebel against God's will and purpose, but from the standpoint of, of not wanting to be consciously separated from his father. Yet he was committed to do the will of God. He had told God, prepare me a body and I will go down and redeem mankind. Now, he was at the crossroads. He was at the point where he was going to have to make that decision. And all that was in him, spirit, soul, and body, cried out and said, Father, if there is any other way we can redeem mankind without my having to be separated from you, then let us find that other way. Not my will, but thine be done. Jesus prayed that prayer three times. And finally, when he was satisfied, there was no other way. He said, not as I will, but as thy wilt. Now, Jesus came into the world to redeem us saints, to set us free. The only way he could do that was to become what we were. He had to become our scapegoat. Yes, the word scapegoat is, is a, a biblical term. When God set up the uh, institution of sacrifices and, and offerings for the nation of Israel, there was a time when the high priest would go and lay his hands on the head of a goat. He was symbolically transferring all the sins of the children of Israel onto the goat. Then they would turn the goat loose and send him out into the wilderness. When they did this, it was as if they had gotten rid of the sins of the people. The scapegoat took the place of the people. Jesus became our scapegoat. Okay. He became our scapegoat. Oh, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And people still 
are rebelling against Jesus. And he did this for everyone, even the sons of perdition. All they have to do is just confess Jesus and, and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. And they are saved. You know, they are saved from condemnation. Uh, that's coming. They are saved from judgment that's coming and people are still ignoring Christ. Now, the reason he said, I will smite the shepherd when he was in the garden of Gethsemane is because in order to redeem us, he would have to die spiritually. He would have to identify with us in our sin so that we could be identified with him in our redemption. I know this is heavy, but you know, I always tell you, you you must be born again to understand the word of God. You must be born again to understand the kingdom. You must be born again to literally understand who you are in Christ. Okay, Jesus died uh, that we might live. He died that we might be pardoned. We should have died, not physical death, not dying on Calvary, not dying on the cross, but the real death, which is the death of the spirit. We should have been placed into hell for eternity. But because of Jesus' great love for mankind and his grace, he came into this world to save it. Woo, my Lord. Mm. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He became our sin offering, saints. Somewhere between the garden and, and Calvary, I... I I do not know exactly when, and I, I just won't try to argue about it with anyone because I've had discussions with uh, people in the past, other, other scholars and, and other uh, teachers of the word, that Jesus Christ died spiritually. He did. That is what he meant when he said, I will smite the shepherd. He had to do this by an act of his will. He had to voluntarily give his life so that we might live. He became our substitute, our scapegoat, because he loved us, saints. That's how much he loved us. Some Christians are sitting around pouting and, and crying and feeling sorry for themselves. They say, nobody loves me. Nobody is concerned about me. Jesus loves them. He gave his life for them. Calvary is not the place where our redemption was bought and paid for. That was just a doorway for the beginning of our salvation, saints. Some Christians go around singing, I should have been crucified. I do not know why. The only thing their death would have accomplished is a dead person. And, and, and that would not have done anyone any good, not them or the human race. It just happened that crucifixion was the form of capital punishment that was used in the time of Jesus. If Jesus had died in California, they might have had uh, have put him in the gas chamber or given a, le uh, a lethal injection. Uh, if he had died in Florida, they might have put him in the electric chair or in England, they might have uh, hanged him on the, uh, on the gallows. But crucifixion and Calvary were only the doorways through which physical death came. Okay, the reason the virgin birth is so important is because through this through this means, Jesus came into the world with a spirit that was in communion and in contact with God. He did not inherit Adam's sin, sin nature. He inherited his physical body from Mary, his mother, but he got his spiritual nature directly from the heavenly father. Technically, Jesus Christ could have lived on this earth and never faced death at all. Death had no claim on Jesus. Death had no authority over him because he was not under Satan's dominion. The devil could not do a thing to Jesus. He tried to kill him uh, in every way he could, but he could not do it because he did not have any authority over Jesus. Now, before Adam sinned, there was no physical death in the earth realm. When he sinned, he committed high treason against God. Instantly died spiritually. Mm-hmm. Yes, he did. Adam instantly died spiritually and began to die physically. Physical death is the outward manifestation of, of, of spiritual death. Now, when Jesus came into this world, he did not come with a sin nature. 
therefore death had no claim on him. They tried to kill him on occasion, but, but they could not. They could not, saints. Now, Jesus was in perfect communion and fellowship with the Father. And because physical death had no claim on him, he had to voluntarily give up his own life. He forfeited his, his life because he loved us. Yes, that's true love. When Jesus physically died, his spirit and soul were able to leave his body, descend into the underworld, hell or Hades, and serve the sentence we should have served throughout eternity. Jesus did it for us. Yes, he did. I don't know how you can't get full and, and at least cry about that. Tears of joy and sometimes tears of sadness for me uh, because God loves us so much. He did that. My God. When Jesus went to serve our sentence, he served only three days and three nights because the physical body, at least in that part of the world at that particular time, would begin to decompose on the fourth day. The Bible states by prophecy more than 500 years before Jesus' birth that God would not suffer, meaning allow or permit his Holy One, talking about Jesus, to see corruption. In other words, God had promised his son that his body would never experience corruption, meaning decay. So Jesus had to come back into his body before four days had transpired. Otherwise, decomposition would have set in. The three days and three nights Jesus spent in hell were compressed by God um, into eternity. God counted them as though Jesus served out eternity for us. When divine justice was satisfied, Almighty God said, it is enough. Jesus rose from the dead, picked up his now transformed and glorified body, went back to the heaven and opened the door for mankind to become free from Satan's authority by acceptance, by acceptance saints of Jesus as personal Lord and Savior. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. When Jesus satisfied the demands of divine justice and when God said it is enough, the price for mankind's redemption was paid in full. At that time, Jesus became the firstborn again man. He was not born again because he had sinned, but he was born again because he had died spiritually by, by virtue of a willful commitment of himself to be made sin for us. One man took up himself the sin of everyone that that ever lived or ever will live one solitary figure accepted the uh, degradation the punishment the damnation and hell for us all oh my glory when jesus went into hell and served our sentence for for three days and three nights god took our records out of the files of heaven and stamped them pardon oh my lord yes he did and he set us free saints that is great news that's who we are in christ that is who we are in christ we are set free we will never see hell because we are in christ oh that is great news that is a happy time a, a true reason to to celebrate just like some young people today, uh, they think they are going to keep getting uh, away with things just because they haven't been caught. Now, when I think of what Jesus did for me, I praise God every day. He set me free. He set you free. And, and anyone else who receives him as Lord and Savior has been set free. Now, let's look at 2 Corinthians 5. Um, this page helps us to see the truth of of this teaching it is so very important to understand ephesians 2 and 5 so that you can understand where you are and who you are and why you are in christ jesus this is a legal transaction that is documented in heaven taken down by the heavenly recorder on god's great computers oh yes oh yes um let's look Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature mean, or, or creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new and all things are of God who had reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ 
and had given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 and 18. We have not been given the ministry of condemnation, saints. And I taught a whole uh, series on this. It's called the uh, ministry of reconciliation. We do not need to go around, nor should we go around condemning people and putting them in bondage. But we do need to go and tell them the good news so that they can be free. We need to tell them about reconciliation, not about condemnation and, and judgment. And we need to tell them about the love of God. My God, what he did with his son. Now let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 21. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing, meaning or counting, their trespasses unto them, and had committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you uh, by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he, God, had made him, Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Praise God. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Abba Father. Jesus did not do anything that was sinful, but it says he was made to be sin for us. Why? So that we could be exonerated from the penalty of sin and then be set free in him. People need to know this, saints. People need to know this. That's what my ministry is all about, telling people about salvation and, and building their faith and learning how to walk in grace. We do not have any righteousness of our own. We have no right to appear in the presence of God by and of, of ourselves, just as we had no righteousness. Jesus had no sin, but because he was made to be sin for us, we are made to be the righteousness of God in him. That him meaning Jesus. In order for Jesus to have completed our redemption, he had to be born again. And he became the first man who was born again. When Jesus was born again, God saw us as being born again. Look at the first chapter of Colossians and, and um, we will see virtually the same thing. But I think it will perhaps make it somewhat clearer to us. It is so very important to understand our great redemption and our salvation and what price Jesus paid to achieve them and what it cost Almighty God to redeem us. Colossians chapter 1 verses 12 through 15. Giving thanks unto the Father which had made us meet or able to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who had delivered us from the power or dominion of darkness and had translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Hallelujah. Praise God. It is obvious that Paul is not talking about uh, being the firstborn physically because Jesus Christ was not the firstborn physically. There were millions of people who were born before he was. This is not talking about physical birth. It is talking about spiritual rebirth because Jesus was the first one who was born from the dead, from spiritual death into spiritual life. Now, the word firstborn implies secondborn, thirdborn, uh, fourthborn, uh, ad infinitum. Now, you do not use the word firstborn unless there are other siblings involved, right? Now, if you have only one son, you do not say, this is my first firstborn son. You say, this is my only son. But when you say firstborn, you automatically separate the child you are referring to from the second, third, fourth child, etc. The fact that Paul uses the word firstborn implies secondborn, thirdborn, 10 millionth born, etc. And praise God, I am included somewhere in that number. And so are you if you are born again. Now let's look at Colossians 1, 16 and 18. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, 
all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, not the pastor. Christ is the head of the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Praise God. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. We know this is not talking about physical death because we know that when Jesus walked the earth, he raised the, uh, the widow of, of, of Nain's son uh, from the dead. He raised uh, Jairus' 12-year-old daughter from the dead, and he also raised Lazarus from the dead. Praise God. Now, it is talking about spiritual death. The moment we accept Christ as our Savior and Lord, we are counted as having been raised up and born again with him. Let's look at Ephesians 2 and 5 again. Even when we were dead, this is talking about us in sins, that is spiritual death, hath quickened, made alive, us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. Now God sees us in Christ. So all we have to do is to accept what has already been bought and paid for. And we do that by faith. Excuse me. By accepting Jesus as our Savior and Lord. By repenting of our past life. By turning away from the government of self and the government of Satan. And turning to the government of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Then what Christ has done by becoming sin for us is credited to our account. His sacrifice sets us free saints and we become children of God through him. Ephesians 2 and 6 says, And had raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Praise God for that. The church traditionally has failed to understand who we really are in Christ. We, oh my God, we have had such a distorted view of ourselves as Christians that we have done everything we could to cause God to shed many tears because of our ignorance of who we are. Yet his word clearly declares who we are. God does not see you as you. He sees you in Christ. He looks at you through Jesus. And when he looks at you through Jesus, you look real good to him. You hear me, saints? You look real good. We have been defeated in life because we have had a false image of who we really are. We have been or we have listened to the devil's lie through religion and tradition about what we do not have and what we cannot do. And we have believed the devil's lies instead of going to the word and finding out what God has said about us. Now, that is the biggest lie ever, saints. You thought you were being humble, but, but did not know you were being ignorant when you talked about being just a sinner saved by grace. Friend, if you were saved by grace, you are not a sinner anymore. You are a child of the king. But you are going to have to see yourself that way. You are going to have to get the same estimate of yourself that God has of you. You are somebody because of Christ in you. The hope of glory. Amen. Oh yes. Oh yes. We need to see ourselves as the righteousness of God in Christ. In fact, if you start doing that, it will help you with your problems. It will help you with all that garbage about being sick and always making mistakes and always having to come back and, and whine and cry every week about some dumb sin that you committed. Now, the Bible says that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. And, and see Philippians 3, 9 on that one here. The Bible tells us to be holy because he is holy. See 1 Peter 1, 15. I want you to study these scriptures. Um, the Bible says that you have been created in the image of God. See Genesis 1:26, And the Bible declares that you are more than a conqueror through him that loved you. See Romans 8:37. We need to see ourselves as holy, as his righteousness, as being see, uh, created in his image and, and, and seated with Christ in heavenly places. And as more than conquerors, the church needs to rise up and see itself as the body of Christ. Instead of, of this uh, a rag doll, you know, the way many Christians and churches see themselves is a disgrace before God. 
God wants us to see ourselves as the head, not the tail. He, we are above, not beneath. All too often, the church has gotten the signals mixed up. We say we are the light of the world, but too many Christians seem to think uh, he meant we are the uh, to be the tail light. God, however, wants us to be the headlight. We ought to be leading, but we cannot lead until we find out who we really are, until we get a true estimate of ourselves, saints, and until we stop poor mouthing and crying all the time. God raised us up together with Christ out of spiritual death. We have to look at Jesus and find out how God sees us. Whatever he says about Jesus, that is what he says about me and every other Christian saints. The Bible says he had raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.26, meditate on that saints. How do we sit in heavenly places? In Christ? Notice what Ephesians 1.19 and 20 tells us. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us, uh, to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power. The power is toward us. So the whole thing is for our benefit. Okay. Which he had wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Let's now return to Ephesians 2, 6. And had raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. Compare this truth with Ephesians 1.20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Now, when God raised Jesus from the dead, he was physically raised from the dead. He took him up to heaven and set him at his own right hand. And you got to be spiritual to understand that. God in the spirit sees us seated there with Jesus with the same benefits, with the same authority, with the same dominion, with the same power, with the same covenant, with the same father and with the same Holy Spirit saints. Now, Ephesians 1 21 and, uh, through 23 tells us this far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in, in that which is to come and had put all these under his feet, all things under his feet, I'm sorry, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Since God put all things under the feet of Christ, who is the head, and we are the body, and the feet are, the lo are, are located at the bottom of the body, not stuck to the head, that means that all things are under our feet as well. That puts us on top of everything, every circumstances and every condition in life, saints. That makes us winners, not losers. But you are going to have to see that by the word and begin to take your, your rightful place in Christ. We have to get God's vision. Proverbs 29, 18 tells us where there is no vision, the people perish. And that is what is happening to a multitude of Christians today. They are perishing because they do not have the vision of the word of God, the vision of the fact that they are unconquerable. Do you realize that you are unconquerable saints? The only person who can defeat you is you. The devil can't do it. The demons can't do it. His children can't do it. People can't do it. Only you can defeat yourself. Ephesians 2, 7 tells us this, that in the ages to come, he might shoo the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. His kindness. Do, do you know or do you realize how sweet God is, how good God is? It says his kindness, saints. Some people, even Christians, are stiff-necked. You know, they are hard-headed. They know it all. They talk about, you know, how great they are and and. Though they had, you know, as though they have done everything by themselves, they are dependent not only on God, but they are dependent on 50 million people every day just for survival. They don't know it. They think they are, you know, just, just hot stuff. You know, I don't need the church. I don't need Jesus. I don't need God. I can do it on my own. I have a cousin like that. And Lord knows I pray for him. You know, we cannot do anything on our own. We are depending on someone else for just about everything we do. 
Did you make the car you drive in? Mm -mm, I don't think you did. Did you make the gas that your car needs to run if you don't drive an electrical uh, vehicle? Did you make the clothes that you are wearing every day if you didn't make them yourself? Did you not build the house you live in? You know, or the uh, apartment complex you live in? Uh, you know, do you provide the electricity that you need? Did you, did you make um, the dishes that you put your food on to eat? We are all dependent on someone else for our comforts and needs. And all of us, including those so-called atheists, are dependent upon God because they need his air to breathe, to live. Thank God that because of his kindness and because of his tender mercies and because of his love for us saints, we can become the children of God. Now, I don't care what some philosopher said about uh, uh, Jesus or, or religion being the, uh, the, the opiate of, of, of people. No, I will tell you what the opiate of, of, of the people is. It is Satan and sin. And they are destroying and killing mankind every day. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. When you learn how to live in terms of what of, of the word of God, you will experience that abundant life. Now, saints, I want to stop here. I know you enjoyed that message. I can't wait to share part two with you. So stand by for entering into his presence and my closing remarks. Entering into his presence. Go gently through this day, keeping your eyes on Jesus. He will open up the way before you as you take steps of trust along your path. Sometimes the way before you appears to be blocked. If you focus on the obstacle or search for a way around it, you will probably go off course. Instead, focus on Jesus the shepherd, the author and finisher of your faith, who is leading you along your life's journey. Before you know it, the obstacle will be behind you and you will hardly know how you pass through it. That is the secret of success in his kingdom. Although you remain aware of the visible world around you, your primary awareness is of him. When the road before you looks rocky, you can trust him to get you through that rough patch. His presence enables you to face each day with confidence. Now there are three scriptures I want you to meditate on today, saints, as it relates to what I just shared. John 10, 14 and 15 is the first scripture. All three scriptures I'm sharing is from the NIV, New International Version. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Scripture number two, Isaiah 26 and seven. The path of the righteous is level. O upright one, you make the way of righteousness smooth. Scripture number three, Proverbs three verses 25 and 26. Have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being snared. So, saints, I want you to enjoy life. Laugh, love, forgive, and treat everyone with compassion, dignity, and respect. See you next time. Well, saints, I hope you enjoyed part one of this two-part series entitled The Christian Position in Christ. Part two will be shared and aired next Sunday. If you have any questions or comments about this message or any past interludes, please send your comments, questions, or prayer requests to talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com. If you want to support this podcast financially, please go to one of my five podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, or Radio Public homepages and contribute an amount of your choice.
Now until next time, saints, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. I am your host, Dr. Kamala D., rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. See you next time.